Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Lord, we do. We ask as we read these verses here that you would transform our minds and our hearts and that you, through your grace, through your power, would show us and help us be the church that you want us to be in this hour. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Acts 9, 32 through 43. And again, keep in mind, this is an ordinary fisherman that Jesus has chosen to do these things through. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to the rabbinical schools of his day. He went to school with Jesus. And he walked with Jesus for a few years and it put this inside of him. Acts 9.32. Now as Peter went here and there among all the brothers and sisters, he came down also to the saints living in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Verse 36. Now in Joppa, or Jaffa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside. And then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Friends, this is the word of God. Man, so the first account, you saw it in verses 32 through 35, the first scene is Peter moving and living among the saints, the brothers and sisters, and he comes to this town called Lydda, and I put a map up here so you can see where that is. It's the lower arrow there. And if you just notice for a moment here, I want you to see this. There's concentric circles here, right? And the first one down there is Jerusalem. And if you remember back to Acts 1.8, 
Jesus spoke to his followers and he said that the gospel was going to go forth from where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we noted then that that was the outline of the whole book of Acts. And so friends, look what's happening here. We saw Pentecost occur in Jerusalem, Acts chapter two, and then we've seen the expansion of the gospel through Philip's ministry with the Ethiopian, and then look, now it's expanding into Judea and Samaria, and through the Apostle Paul, it's gonna go throughout the Roman Empire. What Jesus said in Acts 1-8 is happening. Even in these early months and years, the gospel is beginning to expand. So the text here says in verse 32 that Peter comes to the saints. And we've talked about this word before. We actually took our name from the New Testament, from the scriptures, because this was a common name for the Christians, the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. And what's interesting about this it speaks of all New Testament disciples. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you put your faith in Christ, you're united to him, you are a saint. You are a holy one, whether you feel like it or not. Some days you probably feel like a saint, other days you feel like a sinner, maybe a, a saint and a sinner, but it is all New Testament disciples. and. I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves because the word later in church history is used of particular holy people that lived exemplary lives that followed the way of Jesus and the church has agreed that this particular woman or this particular man illustrates the grace of Jesus in someone's life. And so we embrace that. We think that's, that's a good thing. But in the scriptures, all Christians are called saints. And what's interesting, it's always the plural form. There's only one place in Philippians 4 that speaks of a saint. So it's the collective body of Christ called the saints. Lydda, as we can see up here, is a key city. It's 10 miles southeast of Haffa, and it was a key place where roads intersected from Egypt to Syria and Jerusalem. It was kind of a hub. And so Peter is following the Lord and living with the saints and fellowshipping with the saints. And the Lord chooses this particular place with a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and incurable. The medical doctors of the day couldn't do anything to help him and he was about to encounter the great physician. Eight years of struggle. Again, oftentimes we just kind of move past these stories. I want to sit with, him, with Aeneas for a minute. Eight years he struggled. The text doesn't say, did he have a stroke? Was there a serious fall? Could he have had tuberculosis? We don't know, but he couldn't move his body for eight years. And Luke... The author here is showing us again and again that Jesus loves those on the margins. Jesus loves and loved the disabled. Love the handicap. Amen? And so the text is even inviting us into this, do we love the disabled? 
Do we, are our eyes open when someone is paralyzed, when someone is impaired some way? And I think the text is saying the early church, like Jesus, loved these folks, and Aeneas caught the eye of Peter here. And so look at what happens here at verse 34. Peter says to him, and this requires some serious faith here, doesn't it? He doesn't say, Aeneas, the Lord's will be done with you. What does the text say here? Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Not Peter, not the great apostle of Jesus, but Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And so this is, this is what it is. <laughs> he spoke the name of Jesus and the electrifying, miracle-working power of Jesus went through Aeneas' body that had been paralyzed for eight years and he got up. I don't have this answer. I'm asking it. It's kind of rhetorical, but friends, what does it take for people in 2022 to be able to lay hands on someone or to speak a word of healing and see Jesus heal someone like this? What do you think? I don't think that the word of God is meant to entice or tease us and say, hey, this is how it was 2,000 years ago. You do the best you can. No, Jesus says in John 14 that actually his disciples will do greater works than he did. So this is an example of Peter, again, an ordinary fisherman and a man who had denied Christ multiple times. Jesus reinstates him, raises him up, and here we are just a matter of months later, and he is able through the authority and power and anointing of Jesus to look at a paralyzed man and say, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and walk. I, I'm not saying I have the answers. I'm just saying I burn inside to see some instances of this. Do you? Do you? And I think that in the coming days, we're going to see some healing like we've never seen before. I think the, the darkness of the hour in which we live and the need for the gospel to go forth in great power. And so the Lord wants to purify our hearts and prepare us and grow our faith. But in the end, it's really not even about our faith, is it? What does the text say brings healing to this paralyzed man's body? Look at it. It's the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ heals you. Now, I, I, I am looking at this and I'm saying, Lord, how do I pray for the sick? Anybody else think that? You know, we talk about non-dogmatic prophecy. Well, I don't think that the text is saying that we go around all the time pronouncing healing to people. But I do think that the text is inviting us to more confidence in the name of Jesus. Would you agree? So I want us to wrestle with this a little bit. How do we pray for the sick? Man, I am pretty good at some of those lame prayers. Anybody else? I may not you know, say kind of the old school, Lord, if it be your will, I certainly don't want to be on the receiving end of that. If I'm really sick or I'm facing death and someone is 
praying like that. I, I really want someone that's charged with some faith and confidence in the name of Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? But I don't know what the answer is. I just know that we need more confidence, we need more courage, and we need to be convinced more deeply that the authority of the name of Jesus can heal sick bodies, can change broken hearts, can change lives. Would you agree? What I wanted to do here for a minute, um, I wanted to share just a few stories that are a little more contemporary. And I've done that periodically. I told you about a book by a man named Craig Keener, former atheist, who is a New Testament theologian now, and he's written two volumes, and it's K-E-E-N-E-R. And if you are serious about learning more about miracles and faith and just reading dozens of stories throughout the history of the church, this is worth your money to buy this. I've been trying to spend some time in it and learning, and again, from a deep skeptic who didn't believe in Christ, didn't believe in miracles, and now he, ex- he underwent a radical conversion and has now written probably the best book ever written on miracles, meticulously researched all over the world. And so I thought I would just share a few contemporary ones. How does that sound? And again, to trace that the Lord did this 2,000 years ago, but he continues to heal even paralyzed people. And the first is found on page 526 in Craig Keener's book, Miracles. And he tells a story of a woman named Elsie Salmon. She's a 20th century healing evangelist that most people have not heard of. But in his research, he came across this story and he always goes to family members, to people that were there, to eyewitnesses. He makes a practice of that. Nothing's included in the book that he can't verify. But this woman, Elsie, recounts the story of another lady named Iris. And she came to her for prayer because her leg was to be amputated the next week. And her leg had withered and doubled up some 13 months earlier. And Elsie took Iris's leg and said, Christ, my master, do your work. And with these words, the leg immediately straightened out before her eyes and the others there, and the dead limb at once became filled with life. So Iris then walked to the train station and up the stairs, refusing to sit down. And when she arrived home, her mother was so astonished to see her walking that she briefly fainted. And the doctors were likewise shocked and canceled the amputation. So friends, the Lord continues to do things like this through obscure people. How about another story? This one's a little different. Amanda thought we should raise this one because it involved a youth camp in Chile. In 1998, a girl sprained her ankle playing soccer at the youth camp and her ankle was badly swollen and the camp doctor warned her not to walk on it for some time. They planned to take her to the hospital for further evaluation the next day. When the youth prayed for her that evening in the meeting, the swelling immediately went down visibly in front of everyone there. 
And she started jumping and dancing, completely healed. And the 200 young people, all of whom had known about her sprain, began shouting, jumping, and singing praise songs at the top of their lungs. So not a paralyzed person, but someone who had sprained their ankle. How about a third one? Then we'll wrap up here in a minute. This is one of his personal friends, Craig Keener, a friend named Jacob Bira, who was an Indian pastor and friend and colleague. He shared this account of praying for a seven-year-old Hindu girl named Yasama. Yasama was afflicted with polio soon after her birth, and she had to be carried everywhere. And she was now laid on his church's platform. Someone brought her to receive prayer, curled up with arms and legs rolled up like a ball. It was about 1 a.m. after about five hours of church service, and he was exhausted. Nevertheless, he offered a simple prayer, and then her mother picked her up in her arms, apparently still unhealed, and took her home. Although Jacob lived near this family, he had not heard anything about her condition for the next eight weeks. But after eight weeks, Yasama walked into the church service using only a walking stick. And even more dramatic than seeing her walking was noticing that her limbs had completely straightened out. So over the following 10 years, the entire family gradually became believers in Jesus. At the time of this report, Yasama was nearly 18 years old and preparing for college. So I included that one because it was not instantaneous. And according to my hearing, it was not filled with great faith. He was exhausted at 1 a.m. Steve Nicholson's talked about that before. Some of the most radical miracles he's seen is when he wants to go and drink a Dr. Pepper or he wants to go crawl into bed at the hotel. Friends, it's not really even about us. We have to put ourselves in those places where we can be a conduit of God's healing power, but it's the name of Jesus. And so what I want this text to do, the second text, the second story here is about the raising of Tabitha or Tabitha. And I just want to zero in on the effect of the miracle. So the miracle is done in the name of Jesus. Prayer is made. And we saw at verse 35, all the residents. Friends, think about that. All the people in these towns heard the story and turned to the Lord Jesus. And the language that's used there is like national repentance. Like in the Jonah story. I mean, the people saw and heard the miracle and the evidence of it, and they all turned to the Lord Jesus. Now look, we already read it, but this story of Tabitha being raised from the dead like Jesus had done, similar parallels here to Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. And look at verse 41. She's raised from the dead, he gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, Peter, 
showed her to be alive. And then look at the result here. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So why don't we stand? Again, friends, the point of these stories is that we will have a biblical worldview. And the biblical worldview is supernatural. It's not anti-supernatural. It's not skeptical. It's not anti-science, for sure. But friends, the name of Jesus is able to accomplish things that we can't. The authority of the name of Jesus can heal sick bodies and broken situations and deliver from demons and addiction and transform lives in ways that no doctor can. We love doctors. We love psychiatrists and psychologists, but there are times when we call on the name of Jesus because only he can help. Would you agree? And so in the coming days, we want to lean into that. Lord Jesus, we ask that your word would go to work in us, these two healings here and the other contemporary examples. We pray, Jesus, whatever it takes in us, in this local church, would you transform our minds? Would you give us a truly biblical view of the world? And would you anoint us to heal? to pray for the sick, to not give up, to persist. And why don't you, if, if this is something that burns in your heart, why don't you ask Jesus right now that he would use your hands to heal? Maybe you need to turn over a new leaf today and maybe you need to start afresh. Ask Jesus for his authority and for his anointing to heal the sick. Jesus, we look to you. The world needs your healing power. We want to see you heal the sick in the coming days. And we will give you all the glory. All glory and honor and praise goes to your name, Jesus. Jesus.